Hello, Annie Trenders. Welcome to the Girl Taku, hosted by the ladies of Anime Trending. If you're looking for nice tea and deep dive analysis about otaku things, you've come to the right place. We love our conversation and discussion, and we're back with another fun topic on the table. My name is Gracie, and I'm joined by. Hello, I am Isabel, and this is Agnes. So, without further ado, the Girl Taku today will be about just us. Interviewing and asking each other questions about our anime preferences, our anime watching sort of activities, and overall just questions we had about each other's tastes or each other's feelings about certain anime. So it's going to be a fun uh, round robin sort of round where uh, we're just going to take turns asking each other's questions and get some answers as to things that we have been wondering for a while. So uh, with that being said, I'll go ahead and start us off just to give sort of an example. And because uh, Agnes kind of already know who what I'm about to ask about, so she's not put on the spot as much. So she, I'm guessing she, well, I don't know. She had time for, to prepare per se, but she does have an idea of what I'm about to ask. So Agnes, uh, one thing that I have always wondered about is that I know you really like the ancient Magus Bride. You read the manga. You've talked about it in positive ways a lot of times in the Girl Taku podcast. Um, but one thing that always sort of, uh, I wouldn't say disturbed me, but kind of like made me a little iffy was the beginning with, uh, you know, Chise being a slave and essentially getting bought by Elias. And of course, she put herself up for uh, up for auction that way. But still, she gets bought by Elias. And that whole dynamic at the beginning was just very odd and concerning for me because it's like he is a creature, but then it's like he talks like he's an adult man. But then there seems to be something romantic between them. And it's just this weird, iffy thing. And I in that beginning, at least for me, it wasn't enough to like make me not watch the anime or enjoy the rest of the story for that matter. But it always made me feel a little weird is the thing. And I was curious. I've been wondering, actually, and curious, like, how did you get past that? Because that sort of setup, I feel like, is the type of setup that you would never really buy into in the first place knowing who you are and just being your friend for so long so yeah that's my first question for you that's a great question because i feel like a lot of people who look into magus bride and stares at the magus bride fans are going like how how the hell did you get roped into this situation <laughs> right i feel like that intro is something that is very unspoken in a lot of the ancient magus bride fandom similarly to how like in a lot of other animes you have like very troublesome tropes or very troublesome couples that you kind of just push to the side and you go anyway so it's it's i understand your concern about that Adult me right now would have never picked up Ancient Bride. Ah, I will like, okay. put that on the table. Adult me would have never picked it up because I was like, this has a lot of red flags. This looks like it's romanceable. It is like some sort of shoujo monster kind of uh, manga that I don't want to touch with a 10-foot pole. But younger Agnes in the throes of her high school being like, wow, this looks like an interesting plot and not really understanding the concept that Chisei was a slave put up to an auction click the read button on the manga website that she was looking at. And that's how I ended up doing it in the first place. Um, however, the way that, the reason why I got over it was because in the manga itself, there's not a lot of romance scenes between Elias and Chisei. 
if anything, it's more like a lot of misunderstandings of what is human emotion, how do you feel human emotion, and what do you do with a human emotion, specifically from Elias. Um, and a lot of times in the early parts of the manga, you would kind of perceive Elias as kind of that shoujo male lead who's like very dark, broody, and possessive. But when you read further into the manga, he's just basically very lost. He's like this weird creature that is in the middle between something human because he imitates a lot of humans and ma mages that come into his life such as Lindel and currently in the anime you get introduced to Lindel's teacher um I think her name is Rahab so he learns what it is like to have human emotions and learns how to act human because he mimics them but then on the other half you have something that's a little bit weirder a little bit more sinister kind of like a, an amalgamation of magic into a creature that you don't really understand as well and so the dynamics of the ancient magus bride shifts from being very dubious romance to kind of like a weird mystical kind of complex understanding of relationships especially for mages who aren't necessarily abiding to human convention when it comes to romance or to spouses or to partners so that's kind of like what i liked about ancient magus bride was that it was very ambiguous and goes past the whole idea of oh we're married oh we're a bride or oh, we're a slave but kind of like okay what do we do with our situation how do we learn new things even in our situation and chisei never really develops like stockholm syndrome she she actually gets mad at Elias multiple times yes. and Elias also gets mm -hmm. mad at her and I remember a very distinct moment in the ancient magus fandom and specifically when we were reading the manga it was when Elias gets really jealous of Stella who is um Chisei's new human friend and because he's so jealous that Stella is like hogging all of Chisei's time he inadvertently puts Stella into danger so that he can take Chisei out and Chisei gets understandably extraordinarily mad at him she's fuming to the point that she slaps him right and I remember at the time a lot of the fandom were really upset because they were like Chisei had no right to slap Elias, but me, for some reason, even though I'm probably the youngest in the fandom, I was like, no, she had every right to slap him. Like, he basically violated her boundaries as somebody who wants to have relationships with other people that's not, like, that's not just him. And so at that point, that was when I understood that the ancient Magus Bride is not just about this misunderstanding romance relationship between two very ambiguous and very dubious people but more of like we are here to draw boundaries we are here to respect each other and we are here to learn from each other so that was my takeaway from the ancient magus bride which afterwards moving forward i had a much more positive view of the manga and of the currently airing anime too yeah i was uh, that does answer the question as to when you started it because yeah i was just like Agnes, knowing her, which I've known you when starting when you were an adult, I'm like, I just don't feel like that beginning, that premise would be something she'd like. No, we have me? a couple other very dubious animes that have come out in the past couple of years about like a monster or a beast with like a, a human girl kind of thing that I've tried watching the first couple episodes. I'm like, mm, I don't dig this. I don't feel, I don't vibe with this. This is some very dubious type of shit. Um, but Ancient Magus Bride has was something that I started when I was much younger and has always been something that I've grown and accepted as I grew older and started to see that it was more than just a romance versus unfortunately the anime of Ancient Magus Bride shafts in the wedding scene which is not in the manga as we've spoken mm. before which kind of confuses that boundary a little bit more. I was going to say though that admittedly you know I've had this question for a while but I did kind of start to understand you because of the second season namely when um Chisei meets Elias's old teacher and she and the teacher talks about what Elias was like as a kid. And I was just like, 
Oh, I'm like, Elias is, like, his voice is deep, like, very, very deep. Like, not the type of voice you would associate with, like, another young adult or a teenager, a teenage character. But I'm like, when they put it in that perspective, I'm like, his mental age is actually not too different from Chise's. No, it's ab- it's either about Chise's mental age or even a little bit younger because he's always trying to imitate other people. Right, right. Which is very childlike of, like, you know, when you have a child or when you've seen children, children try to imitate adults, especially, like, their parents. And that was what Elias did, too. Especially because, like, he's this weird amalgamation of demon mage kind of thing. And everyone's like, I don't know what to do with you. And he's like, I don't even know what to do with me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, that scene where he, like, came back and he was, he seemed, this was the most recent episode, but he came back and he seemed really sad and confused and lost and stuff like that. He already looks huge and he sounds like an adult because his voice was always super deep but he uh he sounds like an adult and he's super huge but then he starts asking these questions and I'm like oh he's at like adolescence age at this yep. rate like he's yep. a teenager he's not even an yeah. adult and so that's why the whole theme of like ancient magus bride is about teaching and learning like Elias teaches Chise new things and then Chise also teaches Elias new things but it's not like necessarily romantic either mm-hmm. right yeah. you'll see like Chise teaches him like this is how you feel human emotions and she tries to and to the best of her ability even though she's 16 she tries to explain to him like what a human emotion is like getting angry getting sad being disappointed and then of course Elias teaches her the more um like materialistic uh um, tangible things such as like what is magic what do we do with magic and stuff like that so it's it's a very interesting relationship that they have overall got it got it Alrighty then well uh that was my question to you agnes so um you know isabel what do you have something you'd like to ask agnes as well <laughs> yes uh my question is a little bit more general but it could um pertain to the ancient magnus i bride as well as kind sure. of the fact that you read the manga is that right for the show as yes well? I did. Yeah, that's kind of my question because I know that you read a lot of manga and then sometimes uh, the shows come after. Like, does that ever, you know, um, change your perception of the anime? Uh, like, I know we talked about Pro- Promised Neverland before. And so did you ever, like, stop watching a show because, you know, the anime wasn't the same as the manga or does it make it difficult for you to even continue if it's too different or something like, you know, uh, for me, if I've seen, read the manga, I'm most likely not going to watch the anime just because oh. i know what happens but sometimes mm-hmm. it's sometimes it's good to watch right or like the animation's different like do, do you have like a baseline or you know idea of when you might like an anime versus a manga or just choose the manga itself that's a very good question it's a little bit more complex than like a very black and white answer of like i will never watch the anime if the manga if i already read the manga or vice versa um part of it has to do with animation and how storyboarding works in anime. So manga provides basically the template, right? It provides everything from point A to point Z and what events will follow. In the anime, when you're tra- when you're basically transcribing that information into storyboarding and into animation, you can go in a variety of different ways. You can either do very textbook where you go panel by panel is scene by scene by frame, which I absolutely hate because it is extraordinarily boring. You've already read the manga. Why do you need to watch the anime? At that point, the anime is just moving gifts with colors of the manga, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's very boring to watch. And at that point, I would actually drop it. For shows that I have really had a lot of deep investment and time into, such as Golden Kamui or The Ancient Magus Bride, I still try to watch the anime, even if the animation is not that great, because I want to see how they portray these scenes that I really love and dearly 
read in the manga. And then you also have other mangas, like let's say like Attack on Titan, where the manga itself is very messily done, but the anime execution is absolutely gorgeous. It's stunning. The storyboarding is done really well that you end up watching the anime more than the manga. So it really dep- it's really more so how well does the studio and the staff translate the manga into an anime adaptation that you can basically watch or read both entities and not feel like one is upping the other i guess is the better way of putting it oh i see okay yeah that makes sense i guess yeah for different shows you know might be a different feel and like you said the animation as well and what about games though do games make a difference for you too because i know you play like um free grand order but i don't know if you actually watch that or just stick, stick I with did the game. watch mm-hmm. some of Fate Grand Order. My favorite one was the Fate Grand Order uh, Babylonia, mm-hmm. which was one of also my favorite arcs within the game as well. It was really nice seeing it actually unfold in real time and feeling... So like, for instance, in Fate Grand Order, it's all text, right? A lot of the, the cutscenes and stuff like that, it's not animated. It feels more like a visual novel because it's just a bunch of text that you read about character dialogues and character thought. But when put into the perspective of the anime, where you have really massively large, gigantic creatures that are your antagonists, you feel that um, that gap of power between your main characters and your antagonists, and you feel threatened. You feel like your life is in danger. You feel like you're actually so immersed in the anime. Unfortunately, though... Around that time, I had actually stopped playing Fate Grand Order. I got really burnt out from the game. I've been playing it for at least five years now, like nonstop Mm -hmm. to the point that my grades were dropping to. So I decided to kind of cold turkey stop playing Fate Grand Order. And that's why I never picked up any of the other iterations of Fate that came out, such as um, The Round Table with Camelot, which was one of the three succession movies in Fate Grand Order. And some of the other Fate movies that came out at the time, too, because I was kind of like, you know, I'm going to separate myself from this franchise and from this media that I was obsessed with with five years but Fate of Babylonia was something that I really liked watching as an adaptation and I enjoyed it quite a bit there were some instances where I was like I don't really like it too much because it's the way that they translated that cutscene and that dialogue format of the visual novel into an animation where it gets very boring so you kind of kind of roll your eyes about it and you kind of just end up skimming the episode but overall it did a pretty good adaptation of the original game did you have also like favorite characters that you were excited to see in the show um, that you might? Oh yeah, <laughs> I mean, everyone shits on uh, the 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 goddess of love Ishtar because she uh-huh. is uh, very useless. She doesn't really do anything in the manga, other than in the game, other than the fact that when characters ask for her help, she's kind of like, "Oh, sorry, I can't really help you because um, I kind of lost that item." So <laughs> <laughs> everyone just hates Ishtar. But I love Ishtar because Ishtar takes the design from Rin Tosaka, which is one of the protagonists from the original Fate series. And I really like just watching her general dynamic animation through the first half of Fate Grand Order Babylonia. And then all of the other characters in Fate Grand Order are also really admirable, very adorable, and something that you can root for by the end of the series. I have a quick question for you, Agnes. Is I, I know we What's kind up? of mentioned this before in our like previous topic where it was like uh, anime adaptations that did a good job of adapting, but 
I feel like from talking to you, majority of the time you seem to favor the manga more simply because the manga can be more detailed. Uh, when you animate anything, yes. you kind of have to decrease the detail. I mean, even Vinland Saga's uh, incredible adaptation, like the art, you can you can see it. You know, the panel versus what we yeah. There's a depth. There's like a, a uh, there's a depth of difference. Yes, the exactly. Because yeah. they have to if the, to make it work. Even with such a good production as Vinland Saga, they have to. And so. Um, I guess out of curiosity, like, you know, what are some of the ones off the top of your head where you love the manga and then you also love the anime? Because I feel like it's a higher bar to pass for you when um, you already love the manga. I would say Haikyuu is one of the up there. Oh, okay. Um, it's very dynamic in both the manga and in the anime. They did such a good job with production IG. Vinland Saga is also really good, too. Um but yeah, I don't actually have that many where the manga and the anime translation is like super fluid that I love both of them at the same time. Because okay. at the same time, I have pros and cons of both, so they can never be equal. Okay, got it. Alrighty then. Well, um, in that case, Agnes, you get to choose whoever you want to ask next because you got asked the questions first. So, <laughs> Alright, I'm going to choose Isabel for this time around um, okay. as the person in the hot seat. I actually came up with like two sets of questions in case people would poach one of them um, because I wasn't sure how generic or how deep we're going to go with this. Um, but for Isabel, your love for Gintama is pretty much unparalleled at Anime Trending. Everybody knows that you are the biggest fan of Gintama. But Gintama also starts off as a lot of a gag comedy and you've had a lot of second thoughts about other gag comedies such as Kaguya-sama, which you initially really disliked and had to like really work through the series until you got to season three. And of course, gag comedies can always be hit or miss for a lot of people. How did you manage to get through all of the gag comedy in Gintama before the main plot hits? And I also feel like you're the type of person that gets impatient while watching an anime if they don't hit certain plot points from the very beginning. So how did you manage to get through that while you were watching Gintama? Yeah, one of the things is, uh, for Gintama at least, I think it was character driven for me um, okay. in addition to the comedy. And I also just think that the comedy itself is is like my type of comedy. It's like so dumb that it doesn't make sense or like it's just a bunch of jokes that keep running in every episode. And also the fact that they break the fourth wall very often um, just made it more funnier for me. And my okay, I see. Yeah, my friend actually got. She was very invested in it, and she's the one who asked me to watch it because she wanted. I guess she wanted someone to kind of share that with. Um, and that was like right before everything got serious um, in the anime because she had read the manga, and so she knew what was coming up, and so she told me to watch it, and I, I was like, okay, maybe, um, because at that point it was maybe fifty or more than fifty, probably up to two hundred episodes. Mm -hmm. yeah and yes so i was binge watching a lot of episodes um during that time and i think what makes it what what made me like it also is the smaller arcs between the characters like uh the shinsengumi arc with um hijikata and uh sogo were, were really funny as well and then their interactions with the yorozuya group with gin and shinpachi and kakura so they kind of parallel each other so i always was excited to see the difference between them you know, granted, there are arcs that I don't find very interesting. Like I told you guys before about the hard-boiled detective. Like, I wish I could mm -hmm. skip those episodes. Um, but yeah, I just thought that 
the comedy was really there for me. And then each episode I could kind of watch on its own if it wasn't in a in an arc. And not only that, the arcs I are see. a lot shorter. Um, at least in the beginning, it's maybe like three to four episodes. And then they got longer towards the end, but I think they're not as long arcs as maybe like a whole season of like Demon Slayer, for example. Um, and and I can't really tell which episode is filler in Gintama because they sometimes almost all of them feel like filler. But um, otherwise, I it's really just the characters themselves and their interactions. And I just think Kaguya some of the the comedy because it stays in kind of like a school setting and doesn't have all these wacky things like aliens or like you know, Gintoki fighting with stuff with a wooden sword, which doesn't make any sense because there's no blade. Um, yeah, that just made it different for me. Um, and the Kaguya, of, of course, has its own uh, charms as well. Um, but yeah, for me, I think Gintama was just funnier. and That's why I love it so much. Mm-hmm. Got it. Okay, okay. So it's a lot more of like outlandish, but the characters have very good comedy and they're a lot smaller in terms of execution for arcs. Up until you get to the main point. Were you also maybe slightly influenced by your friend who was just like, you got to keep going before it gets good? I'm just curious. Yeah, she is very good at that. She's very good at trying to convince people to get to watch what she wants to kind of or like, I don't know, maybe because she just kept talking about it um, that I was like, okay, well, if you say it's really good, then I'll try it. She's like after Gintama's finished, she tried to get me into One Piece. That was like her next goal. Oh, no. (laughs) That's another beast. We don't talk about one piece. I know, it's a whole other beast. So, but yeah, and then like, and then so once the serious parts uh, came in, and um, I think it was the Shogun assassination arc, that was the first arc that really, you know, set things off uh, for Gintama in terms of uh, going into the last part um, and becoming a serious mm-hmm. anime. They even state that, like, oh, we're becoming a serious anime now because we're going into war and things like that. Um, yeah, just uh, the fact that it was able to like make me laugh, uh, like make me cry, and then also just like influence me to be really invested in the characters and what their stories are like, um, made me really like the show itself. And then I also started reading the manga after that uh, because the anime hadn't caught up yet. Um, and then I also went back to watch it once it was done. And then there was like the final movie as well. So I ended up liking it a lot. And when I went to Japan, I was very happy because they had a lot of Gintama um, <laughs> that I wouldn't see yeah. here. And I was like, oh my god, Gintama is everywhere. This is great. I'm glad I'm here. Yeah, Gintama is pretty much a, a staple in Japan. Less so than One Piece, but it's still a pretty strong staple versus here in the United States. You're right. There's not a lot of people that care much about Gintama as compared to One Piece, even though they were serialized in the same um, manga in the same magazine too. Yeah, exactly. And not to mention, I watched the, there's a live action as well with the actors, and I really love yes, how they like, yes. really made, they tried to make an effort to like cosplay properly. Um, and I think they really captured the, the dyna- dynamics of the group, and they only did like a little fun arc in the movie. So I feel like that's always like a good standalone for people who might not, might, might not want to watch all of Gintama, but just want to like, you know, experience the comedy or something like that. Elizabeth being in an actual, like, character <laughs> costume that is so obviously, like, badly made just cracks me up every time I see it. <laughs> so, especially when they have to run. It, it becomes... It becomes like a weird gag in and of itself, right? Because the whole Gintama anime is like, who's who is is like Elizabeth? Like, who is under that costume? And then you see it on screen. You're also it also continues to run in with it, even though it's in real life. 
So I think that's all the questions I have. What do you have for her? Oh, I, I thought you had a second one. So I was like, you might as well ask since we're already oh, here. Oh, no, no, no. I had, a, I had a second one in case my first one got poached. But because I went first, I, I decided to go with that question about Gintama. Because I feel like Gintama is the uh, the crux is Isabel's like master thesis. So <laughs> I had to kind of tackle that one. I see. Well, um, my question for you, Isabel, is I'm kind of curious how you... Um, what's the right word? Like, how you enjoy anime. So, uh, I gotta back up a little. So, for example, a thing with me is I don't really participate in fandoms, which we all know already. But what I do do is that when I really love something in anime, I have to talk about it with my friends, you know. And Agnes gets the brunt of it, so she knows better than anyone. Like, I I scream to her about it. Before Agnes, it was me with my roommates. And I would literally run across the apartment to the other to the other side of the apartment because my roommate there, she doesn't watch anime anymore, but she's like more aware of it. And I literally just recap her what happens in the episode and stuff. So that's how I sort of enjoy and engage with other people about anime, not necessarily with the community or the fandom, but at least with like an individual and stuff like that. And I do feel like, um, and for example, I also know like, you know, so I also know when Agnes likes an anime because she'll mention it with me or uh, or I'll notice on her Twitter that she's like liking fan art about it and stuff like that. So there's like this engagement that she's also doing. I'll bet not as like personally or loudly as me per se, even once again, even though I'm not I don't participate in fandoms. I do go bother people about it. And so, uh, but with you, Isabel, I feel like it's like crickets. I can never tell which anime is currently on your radar. I always find out sort of after the fact, for example, uh, you know, with Buddy Daddies and realizing that you're watching it. I'm like, I feel like I, it's just like an empty void when it comes to you in regards to understanding like, you know, how, what you're liking and, you know, what you're watching and like what your rankings are. In fact, I still don't know what your rankings are. I I know Gintama is like one of your tops, but I don't know like, you know, what your favorite in a genre would be and stuff like that. And so I'm kind of curious, do you just like enjoy anime on your own in silence or do you participate in fandoms at all? Or like, how do you enjoy the anime, I guess? <laughs> yeah, that's a really great question. Um, and I, the way that I enjoy anime has changed throughout the years. Um, before when I was in middle or high school, I would be really engaged in it. And, and there weren't too many forums that I would speak on, especially when I was younger. But especially when I got into college, I would try to write a lot of reviews. Um, and at that time, I think I was doing some content creation for anime trending, but that also died out um, as, as I did more schooling. And so I was more participating in kind of especially for Gintama, for example, I would follow like Tumblr posts and people who would write really long essays about like each chapter or something like that. That was kind of my oh, way. Oh, you're a Tumblr girl. Yeah. Oh, so I would consume, okay, that makes yeah, sense. More media, more media that way. And then also, I wouldn't really comment because I don't, Tumblr doesn't really allow comments, which I wish it kind of did. Um, but I can also see it kind of becoming a mess. Like already there's a lot of threads like, you know, this person like this, this person yeah. did this. Yeah. yeah. There's it's a not a that. very... It's not a very friendly forum mm -hmm. type of website. Oh, yeah. I think most people fun. like quote unquote comment by doing the retweet and they put tags. You know, that's at least that's mm -hmm. what I would do is I would read the tags and that would be the comments. So <laughs> Yeah, the retweets um or and then or the reposts and then also I I enjoyed actually like 
for the people who like wrote a lot, I would ask them, they have the little answer me or ask me questions box. And so I would mm-hmm. ask the question in there and then like hope that they would reply to it. <laughs> so I did a lot of that um, as well. And, and then more recently, so the way I enjoy it that I realize I enjoy now is if you are watching it with me at the same time. Um, so I've got my boyfriend to do that this season. I have like recently I've only been picking up one or two anime. Um, but now we're kind of going like full canon like every day is like two episodes of something and wow so what are you see what are you watching see i don't know what are you watching <laughs> oh let me pull up the list we we just figured out you know the schedule is always a mess um and not only that sometimes i only i don't i only feel like watching two episodes or so so we just came up with this literally like two days ago like monday we're gonna watch <laughs> this and tuesday we're gonna watch this Okay, so right now uh, we have Tuesday, Dead Mount, Death Play, and Insomniacs. I haven't started that one. I still have to catch up on it. Oh, Insomniacs is good. I read the manga from Insomniacs, oh, really? so I think you might enjoy it. I think I would like it because I, I can't fall asleep. So I want to join in on the, and see what they do. That's what I thought. <laughs> and then for Wednesdays, it'll be Oshinoko and Skip and Loafer. Um, Thursday, Ranking of Kings. Um, ah. So we're restarting on that uh, because we started it but okay. we dropped it um, oh i didn't know you dropped then, it okay <laughs> yeah and then they're magnus bride also and saturday we're doing hell's paradise and mashla and sun sun sunday we put finland saga because i haven't seen it and i know you guys talk about it a lot so um and my boyfriend really likes it so he he told me to watch it so we're doing like one to two episodes a week until i can catch up <laughs> Do you guys typically like to watch it together? Like one person streams and the other person watches or like you guys sit together on the couch and watch? Or do you guys kind of like try to watch it within the same day and then talk it out afterwards? Yeah, we watch it. Um, like there's this, we watch it on Crunchyroll usually in most of the uh-huh. most episodes. I also have High Dive, so we watch High Dive together as well. Um, and so for Crunchyroll, there's there's this um, extension that I use is like Roll Together and so we just go to Crunchyroll website and we just start playing it and it plays synchronized together okay Mm -hmm. so you do do like the whole like streaming together because you guys can't physically be together Mm -hmm. all the time okay got it and then if we are physically together then we watch a couple episodes that way too and yeah usually though he watches a lot more than I do he kind I would say he watches as much as probably Gracie does and he watches it like as it comes out like sometimes he'll be like Mm-hmm. I need to watch it on my lunch break because it came out today and I'm like I can't do that um, <laughs> um so yeah there's he's watching it definitely a lot more than I do at this point but in terms of the ones that we choose together or the ones that I want to watch with him we make a point to try to watch it um, at the same time and then now also having a schedule because if we don't have a schedule I will more, more than likely just stop watching it <laughs> sadly and then get back to it later but I hope that answers your question about what I'm watching this season. Um, I also like when I proof everyone's posts for the season, I... You kind of have a snapshot get... of things. Yeah, I have a snapshot. <laughs> like, when you post about Skip and Loafer, I'm like, the whole day, I'm like, I need to watch this. I need to watch this. Like, I crazy put, like, screen caps, and I want to see it. <laughs> oh, no. I... <laughs> yeah, you're usually... You're inadvertently spoiling her, Gracie. <laughs> <laughs> it's, okay, it's fine i check everyone's posts but yeah i think that's that's also another factor that 
people don't see is that when I'm like looking at the post or see it on Twitter or something, I'm like, wow, that, you know, that, um, that screenshot looks really good and I want to see this anime. So I think that's what's influenced me, at least for this season, for a lot of the newer shows. Mm-hmm. Isabel, I feel like you would like uh, my love story with Yamada-kun, though. I'm surprised that that's not on your list. <laughs> oh, um, yeah, I think... I watched a lot of TikToks on it, and they were spoiling the manga. And oh, so, <laughs> okay. So yeah, yeah. They were the anime. So I watched a little bit of the anime, but really, what I did was I read the manga in like one to two days. So I'm done. What? <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, I feel like I feel like TikTok spoils a lot of anime enjoyment for a lot of people these days because they can post like reels about mm-hmm. it and stuff. Because I also have a friend who is very notorious about like not watching stuff. She's like very hyper specific about what she wants to watch and what she will actively keep up, like Game of Thrones. That thing she kept up for like years. Like she will never drop Game of Thrones. But every time I try to recommend her an anime, even something that's airing every season or it's like still ongoing, she will like not really pick it up. Um but she like for instance i tried to tell her like oh please go watch buddy daddies but she's like oh sorry i can't because i got spoiled by tiktok and i'm like why tiktok don't do this to us i understand engagement but god damn it (laughs) yeah it's it's really i feel like a lot of the the shorts and the tiktoks at least for anime has really kind of ruined a good deal of how people enjoy the media or at least watching episodes now i don't know how it is with actual like real TV shows, like stuff that you see on Netflix or like HBO and stuff, but it's definitely kind of ruined the anime watching experience. I guess, you know, Isabel, you're on TikTok, I think more than any of us here, so... Definitely. Yeah, I see, and I refuse to use TikTok for Chinese reasons. <laughs> I, I can say that because I'm Chinese, so... Um, but, specifically, uh, but specifically, I'm kind of curious as to, is there a difference between how things are spoiled on TikTok versus others? For example, Twitter, it's easy to get spoiled as well, but everything I've heard, it sounds like TikTok is a lot more intense. So what's, like, the main difference, would you say, between the two? I think the way that it's posted sometimes, uh, especially for the manga spoilers, some people will be nice about it. They'll say, like, like the first page will be, say, like, you know, um, Jujutsu Kaisen, like, ep- chapter 200 spoilers. And then if you scroll past it, then you'll see the spoilers. But some people just post, like, the picture itself, um, maybe. And then and then I'm like, oh. But then, or I'm, you know, it the way that they post it makes it seem like it's something interesting. And so I keep reading through it until I realize oh, it's actually a spoiler, or it's like chapter 100 of this uh, that I didn't realize. So it's like kind of like a snapshot. Um, and then like if you want to choose to scroll through it, then you can. Um, but I think, I feel like people, if you're like me at least, I'm just like curious because they say it's like a spoiler, but I hope it's not an actual spoiler. Oh maybe, my gosh, Isabel! <laughs> the, the, the full chapter is not yeah. on there, so I scroll through it and I'm like, I instantly regret this. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I think, the other thing with TikTok is the way that it's sized for the algorithm, mm-hmm. like in the app. So like in TikTok, a lot of the posts are like full size. So no matter where you scroll, you will still see like a good portion of that post, especially if it's a video. Like the video will autoplay as you scroll and flick through like TikTok posts, at least from what yeah, I noticed. That's right. But with Twitter, you already have a word count. So all your Twitter posts are really small. 
And before, I think before they had some of the upgrades earlier this year, you couldn't see the full picture of spoiler pictures anyway, because the the view of it is really condensed, especially if you do like a two by two or like a three by three or a four by four. So you don't get the full picture of the spoiler until you actively click on the images. And if you don't want to be spoiled, you can just flick through that very easily, as opposed to TikTok, where a lot of the post takes up a good portion of your screen on your phone oh i see what you're saying now yeah because with twitter you can flick if you if you go on a twitter algorithm and you just flick through the app you will flick by 10 posts and you won't even know i get what you're saying like the word spoiler like one time like seeing a slight spoiler and being like nope and it was just so easy to just get past it yeah it's so easy to flick through it through twitter but with tiktok at least like based on what tiktok links my friends have sent to me because i don't use tiktok it is very easy to flick through one TikTok post and the next TikTok post that you see is a full-on anime spoiler that you ha- you don't have time to register that's a spoiler before you have to flick through it again. Yeah, exactly. It's a lot harder to do it on uh, TikTok than That sucks, though, because like it, it actually kind of makes me sad because TikTok is short video form, so you'd have to take... It's basically sound bites and taking things out of context. And I'm like, but it's only in full context. You really get to enjoy exactly what the story and the characters are. So I, I you know, I just feel like you you should, at least for you, Agnes, with your friend with Buddy Daddies, is to be like, even if you are seeing those clips, it's still different than having it actually sh- like streamed together as a full picture, you know? The thing about TikTok is that because it's set up it, the the algorithm is is a lot more interconnected than I think in Twitter, where if you have that same tag and there are multiple tags of that same po- of like a similar post, you end up kind of un- like piecing together the whole full picture by itself, and then you're unmotivated to watch the episode afterwards because you have other TikTok posters who will post the same like reel of different parts of the episode and then you kind of just piece it together as long as you know that it's with posted like within the same time period. okay i see that sucks wow wow that yeah. really sucks <laughs> versus like on yeah versus on twitter if you have like an anime clip of things it's a lot more of a jumbled mess to kind of like flick through all the posts and find each of the interconnecting video clips that pertain to that episode of that ah uh, okay yeah, I feel like Twitter's better at randomizing your feed as compared to TikTok where it hyper-focuses on your feed. Depending depending on what you like, it's great. You know, if you want to consume like this thing all the time, you just keep watching yeah. it and you'll keep getting more TikToks of it. Um, so yeah, sometimes... Yeah, like Cottagecore or something like that, right? <laughs> um, but yeah, if you don't want to watch it, then just like, I just like skip through it. I'm like, please don't show this on my feed again. I'm not interested right now um, or save it for later. But yeah. Wow. Alrighty then, so that is my question for you, Isabel. So I guess I'm the one only left. So go ahead, Isabel, you can ask me your question and then Agnes will round us off for this week's episode. (laughs) Okay, nice. Uh, The question I have for you is I want to know a little bit more about your writing process. Um, Maybe for content posts, but mostly I want to start off with your reviews at the end of the season. And I just want to know if it's something you write like off the top of your head, like after the last episode airs, you're just, uh, you know, you just launch into writing mode for each of the series uh, that you're going to review. Or do you actually like take notes throughout the season or maybe screen caps or something, um, or maybe even, you know, go back to the post that you had made um, just like 
as a reference for your final decision on the on your review and then also how do you come up with like the points as well um you know at the end of your review you always have a system of adding up to 100 points and multiplying them as well i just want to know like what goes how much thought goes into it and how long you might spend on that <laughs> so my reviews take about an hour to write and that's usually because i uh will go back and reread to make sure that everything flows in a logical way that would that someone else could follow along especially since i'm very careful on making sure that my reviews don't have spoilers and if it is quote unquote spoilers, they're for things that ultimately doesn't matter to the actual plot per se. Um, so so that's around the length of time it takes for me to write a review. So the good news is so for your questions about the screen caps, I do take them, but it's because most of the times the anime that I am officially reviewing are the anime that I have been posting about weekly. So I naturally am already making screenshots as I go throughout the season, simply because they are the anime in my lineup that I am covering on our social channels. However, uh, that has changed since um, uh, I, actually just this last two seasons, I realized that a lot of people enjoyed picking which anime they get to, um, which anime I they get to read me review. And so now it's like two or three of the anime are anime that I have been consistently screenshotting and reviewing on our social channels. And then two or three of the anime is the audience picks, whereas, you know, um, actually last time, both of them are anime that I didn't actually uh, I didn't actually take screenshots for and specifically follow. So um, but I guess mm. I do write relatively quickly after the last episode airs. And I think it's because I have, I basically kind of ponder on each episode and let it build little by little. I don't really forget what happens in prior episodes. I keep track of it pretty well simply because I take, I, I don't like watch an anime and then just move on to the next episode, even if I'm watching like 25 in a season. After every episode, I kind of sit and think about it and sort of let the story sink in. Even the ones that barely have any content, I have like thoughts and I would be like, wow, this episode sucks. <laughs> you know? And here's why it sucks. And so I think because I've just internally logging as I go, I don't really feel a need to externally log per se. Of course, it also helps that I have so many great friends to rant about. I mean, a lot of times I get my feelings and analysis kind of thought out just by messaging Agnes. Agnes knows that because of me messaging her about the saga. So it'll be something in all caps and screaming into my DMs that I just look at my notifications pop up and be like, oh, <laughs> yeah. and I don't give her context either. I'm just like, this is all. She's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And so. Yeah, most of the time it's like, I have no idea what you're talking about, but if you're reacting this strongly to an anime, it's probably important. So I end up watching it anyway. Uh, but I kind of get my thoughts out already throughout the season as I go. And so by the by the last episode, I already sort of have a full picture idea in my head. And so that's basically how I go with reviewing the anime. I've definitely had moments where like, you know, some time has passed and I think back to it and my opinions have changed. Uh, for example, I, you know, especially as I grow more experienced with watching uh, with watching anime, anime and noticing and being educated on the industry and Sakuga, because um, one of the biggest example is Fruits Basket. I now realize didn't have that much animation. 
And so it looked really pretty, but ultimate, like its animation isn't bad either, but it didn't have a lot. And so um, that's something that I was like, I'd have to dock off points now for, despite loving and adoring the series, because of the simple fact that I am more educated in exactly what animation is and what Sakuga is. And so there's definitely been moments where I've like, I would write things differently, but I always think it's more... I guess, honest for my uh, opinions right not or not right after, but fairly quickly after the last episode. And so uh, so basically what happens is the last episode airs and then I'll I won't write anything down or note anything down. But unless it's for those anime that I'm like, um, unless it's for those anime that I'm like covering weekly on. But I'll like kind of sit and think about it and be like, okay, in context of this ending to the full series, how did I feel from start to finish? And then I slowly figure that out. And I do, and like I said, throughout the series uh, season, I am actively thinking to myself and analyzing the story. For example, uh, with Buddy Daddies, before I even wrote the review already around like the mid part of the series, I'm like, I really like this anime. Why do I like this anime so much? What did they do that is so correct that makes me like this anime so much? Like, I've already started thinking about it. So by the end of the season, I already know know ultimately, like, what led to my thought process and, like, conclusions and feelings towards my anime. So that is... So that is sort of like my process for writing the review. It's it's difficult because, you know, Agnes, uh, not Agnes, sorry, Jack had once asked me in the group because um, he was coaching another writer on how to write reviews. And he was like, you know, Gracie, how do you write reviews? Because you've been writing it for so long. And I'm just like, I, I guess I've just been gathering my thoughts throughout the season already. Even anime I don't actively cover, I still can't help but sort of analyze it as I go. And I think it largely has to do with the fact as well that I'm analyzing it for my own writing's sake. Um, obviously, anime writing and novel writing is quite different, but there are similarities as in regards to why do the characters work and how does the plot work and stuff like that. And so I'm always analyzing these things because I think it will help me become a better writer as well. And so that's also something that like shows up when I am writing my reviews. Um, for the point system, it can be a little bit like vibey as in how I just feel about it. But generally speaking, I like to get plot and characters out of the way first, simply because those are the ones that are most forefront on my mind and the ones that have a, I have a really, really clear idea about. And then um, soundtrack, voice acting and animation gets a little easier once I get plot and characters out of the way. But Five is, you know, middle. So that means it's fine. It's fine. And so anything that is better than fine um, will be like six or seven. And things that I really enjoy would be eight or nines. I haven't had a 10 yet, I think, in plot and characters. Yeah, I don't think I've had a 10 yet. So, but then art and animation is pretty self-explanatory as well as soundtrack and uh, voice acting because I feel like those are more technical. So you can look at it from a more objective point of view versus plot and characters. There's more of a subjective point of view as well, um, which is another thing that I always keep track of in my reviews as well. I am aware, I mean, reviews as a whole are subjective, but I am aware when it's like a particular genre or a particular type of theme that fits more along the type of stories that I like to read in the first place. Um, you know, I talked about it when I actually, uh, you know, dropped Blue Lock because I was like, even if I had written the review for Blue Lock, it would have been at a disadvantageous point because I just don't like sports. So it's it has to work harder to get me mm -hmm. to like it. And so that's another thing that I like to keep in mind when I'm writing my review. 
so yeah, it's it sounds complicated, but to me, ultimately, it's relatively simple per se. So sometimes I do uh, take more than a day to write uh, a review simply because it's like one of those. It's kind of like Suzume where I end it and I'm just like, ah, uh, something about it isn't quite right. And I can't quite put my finger to it. And I take a few days to try to figure out, you know, what it is that happened with Maji Revel, actually. I ended up feeling kind of just lukewarm about it. And I was like, I need to figure out exactly what had made me lukewarm. And that did take like a day or two to figure out. So that's why the Magi Revel review took a little longer to get out. But um, most of the time I'm able to just write it after the last episode ends. So yeah, sorry, that was a lot of answer. But did that answer it? <laughs> oh, yeah, perfectly. I Yeah, I didn't know about this because I always think that you write reviews really fast. So I was just curious about how you were doing this and Actually, it sounds like a lot of mental preparation that I I personally wouldn't do. Like the fact that you maybe sit and you know ask yourself, why do I like this anime and stuff like that. And then for me, it would be like, you know, why did I like this episode? And then maybe mm-hmm. move on. Uh, but the fact that you're able to analyze that and then write the review is is pretty cool to me. So thank you for that. Yeah, no problem. Uh, alrighty. So Agnes, your question for me. <laughs> yes. So this is a. This is relating back to uh, genres because um, I think it's a uh, it's pretty well known in Girl Talker that you don't like horror, you have no interest in watching horror, um, but horror also has its random slices that you find in supernatural or Asian folklore type of anime like Inspectra, Muroku-chan, and Morose mm-hmm. Mononoke, uh, all which are very lighthearted. But to what extent will you go into the supernatural Asian folklore type of anime? where it starts to become very hoary and you have to draw the boundary. Like, for instance, would you be able to watch something like Hell's, Gore, Hell's Girl, uh, Yamashibai, or like some of Junjo Ito's works? Or would you prefer something more like a horror murder mystery, like another, like Higurashi or like uh, Umineko? Like, where do you draw the boundary of this is supernatural Asian folklore that's slightly could be horror, but I will not be going I beyond I think this it point. has to do with the gore number one yeah i can't really handle gore so i i guess to give you an idea elvin lead i never watched past the first episode in fact i barely made it through the first episode and because it was like the beginning was and the gore in there doesn't even look real because the blood is like pink (laughs) like it's not even red yeah it's 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 splattered everywhere right yeah um so it doesn't even look like real blood but just the amount of the blood going everywhere and the head getting ripped off and stuff like that i was like yeah i I can't. I can't do that. So the gore is definitely an area where I draw the line, which is where I also don't like higu, uh, higu, higu, higurashi. It's like it gets very bloody. I'm just like, yeah, yeah no, I, I don't. I also don't like body horror. That's another big thing. Um, yes. So it's mm, like, you know, okay. falling down the stairs and literally like a stick, like going through your eye and through the back of your. Yeah. Ugh, no, I can't. I can't. Yep. That's another. I yep. can't do that. So body horror <laughs> okay. is also a no-go for me. Um, I'm trying to think of other things because because in that case, you're probably like, well, what about Jinjo Ito? Because his doesn't really have, like, you know, gore in that sense. No, Jinjo Ito has a lot of body horror. Oh, yes, There's that's definitely right. that. Yeah. Uh, all of his stuff, like, uh, like Uzumaki is lots of body horror. Uh, same thing goes for stuff like Parasite. Uh, and monsters some to some degree as well but i'm a little bit curious about your um your response to maybe hell girl where hell girl is not quite body horror 
and it's not horror murder mystery with a lot of gore but it has that slice of supernatural asian folklore but it can get pretty grim because of the fact that she kind of condemns people to hell what is your take on Hellgore and or if you don't plan to watch it or if you do plan to watch it? So I actually haven't watched Hellgirl, but now that you said it, I am kind of interested in it. Okay. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Know, like, a lot of other, I know a lot of other fans who are not a fan of horror in that particular sense, but they really enjoy Hell's Girl because of that supernatural slice. It is a very, like, you're going to go to hell and I'm going to condemn you to hell. And it is, like, those those facets of, like, human emotion about how do you condemn somebody to hell. Um, so I was just curious to know if that was on your radar or not. Yeah, no, I, I was not aware of that, but now that you said it, I am kind of slightly interested in it. I do want to note that uh, this all, <laughs> horror is a very interesting genre in regards to, like, my taste for it because, you know, I mentioned Cheeky, which is horror, but I'm like, yes. but the philosophy of what makes a human is so fascinating, and that like overrode any of these sort of horror elements for me that I genuinely didn't mind. Um, and so I think, uh, so here's, so there's two facets to it. There's the whole body gore, which believe it or not, I didn't think Shiki had body horror. I mean, they turn into vampires, like that doesn't really bother me per se. And so, and then when they die, but it's more like twisting of limbs and like contortion of things but they're not dead blood yeah but they don't yeah die. exactly they're not dead so that's the other thing it's like i think if that happens and they die i wouldn't be happy about it but because they're not dead the body horror doesn't feel as intense because it's like oh they're fine you know <laughs> they're vampires they're fine they, they're only not fine when they are staked or they are in the sun and when they're in the sun they just burned to dust which that doesn't matter to me and then um and then staked is honestly it's just like stabbing so i'm like that's okay as well i've seen plenty of stabbing i i like watching anime with swords that says more than it needs to be said so um so that's probably why shiki worked out really well for me it's very subjective per se but funnily enough i did watch Monster, and I don't mind that. And I've talked about this before with my friends because uh, some of them are, like, opposite to me. And so I don't mind, like, real people, serial killing sort of stories simply mm. because I'm like, those are real people, so they are mortal, as in we can do something about it. They can die. They can get caught. They can mess up. There's a lot of things that can go wrong on their end that ultimately will end in their downfall. So that scares me a lot less. Even though they're oftentimes real stories, they scare me less because I'm like, we can do something about it. Supernatural uh, horror, on the other hand, is where it gets tricky because I'm like, they're in other element, in a, another dimension, another plane of existence. So there's a sense of what can we even do about it? Is there even a real solution to it that I find to be a lot more terrifying than even real life serial killer stories? So, um, so that's um, so that's a divide in the horror. So I would one prefer it more with real humans versus uh, supernatural elements. Believe it or not. And I think that's also why Shiki ended up being one that I was okay with because in many ways the vampires, like, yeah, they get those black eyes and the fangs and, like, pale white, like, skin, but they still look human. And ultimately, um, vampires is, like, a type of mythology that has been there for literally forever and it, the methodology to kill them has been there for 
literally forever. And so like, it's just this kind of stability in my head and a lack of unknown where I'm able to focus more on the theme of the story, which is, you know, what makes people human? Like, how do you decide something is human and something isn't anymore and stuff like that. And so that was, um, so that's why I ended up really enjoying Monster for that reason and Shiki versus some of the other ones where Elvin Lee, where I'm just like, I can't like with this. I just, I just can't. So, um, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, but Hell's Girl is interesting with the way you described it. I probably will have to look it up after this just to sort of check it out. And because that does sound less horror-esque for me and more just like philosophical and interesting sort of a case-by-case thing. Is that what it is? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah, then I probably can watch that one. Believe it or not, I was actually a little concerned sorry, Jujutsu Kaisen because I saw that it was tagged as horror and I was just like, I don't know how I feel about that stuff. Jujutsu Kaisen takes some flavors from horror in the term of curses, but it's magnified in a way that it becomes more shonen. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's a lot of like superpowers, you know, there's a school system that teaches you how to do these things. So it doesn't feel like you're outright screwing somebody over by cursing them in the same light as like yeah, maybe like Yamashibai or like Junji Ito where it's like really really f***ed up curses but it just ends up translating to oh you know people just use these powers to fight kind of thing and it doesn't really carry that same gravitas as an actual horror right I've, I've watched some anime horror like Ghost Hunt that thing continues to freak me out like 10 years after versus Jujutsu Kaisen does not give me nightmares <laughs> no absolutely not yeah no you are definitely stronger than me when it comes to that i like genre. watching horror playthroughs i like getting spooked i like getting jumped uh, i don't I understand that, that I, at all i don't it's, it's an adrenaline rush and it's kind of a way it's it's a very icp thing of like oh how far can i go? oh gosh how far no that is go? that adrenaline rush is the type of rush i like avoid like the plane yeah i know that's the type of rush that you avoid oh gosh yeah um well i hope that answers your question i guess about like my more sort of selective picking in regards to horror no, and it, stuff. It, it definitely because i know we had that conversation like very early on in girl talku and it was it was more so airing on the line of like the philosophical part of horror mm-hmm. and what we were willing to ex- uh, like accept but now that you spell it out as it's also body and gore that you're not comfortable with i'm like okay that's very understandable because a lot of horror it's almost very difficult to separate body gore and just gore in general from ju- from horror. Mm-hmm. And I will yeah. note that, like, you know, because someone had also pointed this out who also really likes horror, one of my friends. They're like, you watch war anime with no problem, or war movies for that matter, and that has a lot of gore. And I'm like, I don't know why, but it's just like, realistically, my mind is able to adjust when it comes to war. Like, my mind just knows that this is something that just happens and it's realistic and it's terrible and it's like um and it's soul sucking for that matter but it's but that I guess it's just that realism is just like this does happen on the battlefield that makes me able to accept it a lot easier versus horror it's not usually it's not a war you know it's, it wouldn't be no a, it's yeah. usually some f***ed up entities about to go hunt you down and twist your limbs kind of thing yeah it's it's not a comfortable feeling even if you do know like how to exercise it or you know how to kill it it's not conventional as compared to like war where everything is mortal there is a way to kill it mm-hmm. yeah exactly yeah uh, 
Uh, I understand now. Okay, cool. Alrighty. Well, that was fun. We got some questions answered <laughs> for each of us. So um, I, let us know if you enjoyed this kind of content, because if you do, we'll, you know, start integrating a little bit more about the round robin sort of hopping around sort of conversation topics. But other than that, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode and we'll be back with another fun topic next week. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye-bye.